Hi, hello, bonjour, and namaste. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I'm your host, Anne Muletala. Today, my guest is Nishanth Chopra, the founder of a collective called Oshadi, which in Sanskrit means essence of nature or healing plant. I was delighted to be introduced to his work, which is quite unlike anything else I've come across in the realm of sustainable fashion. Not that I know everything, but you know. Nishant founded um, the brand in 2016 out of a desire to look after the earth. And this has been at the core of the mission, which started with creating clothing from printing and dyeing to weaving and spinning cotton, and now cultivating a new fashion system with a 50-acre regenerative cotton farm. I read a great quote on Oshadi in Heist Nabayati. It said, Chopra's brand is more of a collective, one with a seed-to-sow perspective and a fully traceable supply chain that should become the template for the global fashion industry. Hmm. So in our conversation, we'll touch on Nishant's process from his family roots in the textile town of Erode in the southern Indian state of Tamil Nadu, how he was moved by wanting to start with this new model after working in the industry when he returned from university. Then we go on to talk about what led him, or rather his team, step by step to this seed to sow concept. Also, not just looking after the soil, the production, etc., but looking after the farmers and artisans who collectively work on this project. Now, I must note that the sound quality isn't the best throughout this interview and I hope that this is not going to deter you from listening to this really fascinating entrepreneur who's just choosing not to stick with the existing fashion production model. I hope that you'll get inspired by him as much as I did. So anyway, let's get to the interview. So Nishant, thank you for making it on Out of the Clouds. Thank you so much and for having me. It's, it's a privilege to be here and I'm really looking forward to this Me too. conversation. Yes. <laughs> Me too. So first, I want to thank Catherine, who made the introduction between the two of us and who introduced me to your work with uh, Oshadi. I like to ask my guests to take their time and tell me about their story, who they are and where they come from. And of course, we can dig into the work you do. And I have plenty of questions for you because I'm fascinated about your project. Yeah, my name is Nishan Chopra. I am founder of Oshadi, which is an artisanal fashion textile company trying to reinvent ancient textile and farming practices with modern designs and, and sustainably innovative materials. Starting from where I was a kid, I think it can give you a, a bit of background on why I have started and like where I come from. I was born in Erode, which is one of the biggest industrial textile towns of India. As a child, like I, I was not really aware of where I am and you know what what I was a part of and things like that because I was a very hyperactive child, just getting through things. I had to change a lot of schools because I was really hyperactive and like. You know, the childhood just went by. I went to university in England at that sort of age. I started to understand like who I am and what I am doing. Just understanding a bit about myself because like now I was looking at my childhood, at my past years through the lenses of like 
an older person, like it was like I was not too old, like I was like 21. I had to come back from university, graduated, and I came back and my family run a textile factory. My uncles, my granddad, you know, a lot of people are part of, uh, are a part of it. Of course, like I'm the first person in my family to get access to education, but not just access to education, but have the platform to go go out of the nest and see things from a bigger perspective. I went to England, studied there. I saw things from there, came back, and I just had a very different perspective on things when I came back. When I came back, obviously, the first thing to do is come join the family business, but that's what you expected to do. You know? I joined the family business, worked there for six months. I worked for some other companies in the meantime, like for three months, four months, through references. Of course, I, like, I didn't really have a good CV that I could apply for a job and get in. So I didn't really necessarily do well at university that people would take me in. But I was fortunate to have a reference and from my parents. And they put me in places, in factories, which otherwise I would have never gotten to. When I went there, I sort of saw the textile supply chain. Fashion. I, I started understanding like how the textile systems work, how the fashion systems work. Well, how do people get production orders, like how things are made. And like when I came back and joined my family business, I just realized like this was not for me. I thought there's something like severely wrong with the system. Maybe it was my perspective at that point of time. I just thought like there is a system, which is already said, but just because there is a system, it doesn't mean it's right. The textile or the fashion system, it was like, you know, the pollution, the, the wages, the mechanization of humans and, humanizations of machine, you know, like it was so intense during the breaks, these different factories. I had the privilege of speaking to different people who worked there, who've been working there for years, like 20 years, 30 years, just to understand like where they come from, what they experience are. And I was like really moved by how we ended up creating a system and a society where like life is just so unfair. Someone's livelihood or it's not just livelihood, but someone's life is always a, like one person is benefiting at the cost of many other people in terms of they don't get paid, extracting from people, extracting from resources, the plan. I told my parents, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I know you, you created all these platforms for me, like which I could have never had access to without you. But this business is not for me. Like, I'd like to create something very small from scratch, see where it goes. And, you know, like I'm happy with small things. Like I don't really want it to do, be a big business, but I want it to be a right business. You set a path and maybe someone after me would come and, you know, take it to the next step and evolve and improvise and stuff like that. And of course I was a black sheep because like you are in this family business and everyone's like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Like there's a established business and he decides to bail on this. Together, like funded is he's the first person to get have access to such crazy education. We thought he would come back and take over and take it to the next level and stuff. I do like completely understand where they come from and from their point of view and stuff. But I just had a different like look on these things and I traveled across India to explore different crafts. I attended a lot of organic uh, farming workshops uh, while doing that. So I was like meeting a different. So I started like a I thought like the best way to do something is to make a product and connect the textile craftsmen, artisans, craftspeople to, you know, the modern consumer is to create a product. Like that's how you connect them. And at that point of time, I had 
I worked with a designer who was really good with women's wear. Women's wear, and it was great. Like I really wanted to start with things that the designer was comfortable with, and we launched a women's wear brand. And as things built, I used to go to fashion weeks, like for every season showcase. I met a lot of brands who came from the same place. Like we just have everyone had a different journey, but we all had the same goal to do things in a better way than they were done before. And in those times, I started working with some of the brands to also do their textiles. Like we started making textiles for like-minded brands alongside our fashion collection. It's like the only way for this project to succeed is not just have it by myself, but give it access to as many people as we can because the importance of this work is consistency. The only way this work can go ahead is through consistent work. And which of course, like no matter how big my brand grows or like as a fashion brand, it will still play a very small role considering how extensive and vast the industry is and the kind of adverse impact it's having to its bigness, expansiveness, the vastness. And we took in other brands and we were fortunate to find brands who shared similar, similar values, beliefs, and we started doing textiles. And in 2018, like I was, I watched a movie called where it's about this farm. Remind me of the title because I heard you talk about it on another podcast. Yeah. I think I talk about it in every podcast. <laughs> we started, I'm just like, it's called Mir Kutarach Himalaya. I'm just putting it in chat for you. I talk about it in all the podcasts because I think even if one person watches this and they think, you know, there is something that needs to be done. It's a good thing. Uh, but sometimes I sound like a recorder. I just keep saying the same thing over and over again, like through all these podcasts. But, but yeah, the movie talks about the vicious circle of farming, where a farmer is caught in the system of taking a loan, GMO seeds, chemicals, loading all those things in the land, and the land doesn't have tolerance, and it needs more and more of those chemicals, and then it doesn't work out for the farmers, and the farmer ends up selling that land, and he becomes like a laborer. Starts as a laborer, he works his way up, and then ends up as a laborer. Like that's how the movie goes. But I really thought like that was like 2018, and we don't really have to. Everyone can have a good time. Every can have. I like to have access to things what I want to, and you know, no one decides it for me. And who am I to decide it for someone? Like, and maybe like you know, there was a different way of doing things. So we started. Next day, I heard this podcast. Rebecca Burgess from Fibershed, she was speaking about the things which I really wanted to create. I didn't really know at that time it was called regenerative farming or things like that, but I just really knew that there was an ancient traditional Indian way of doing things and, and creating an economy near the supply chain. So, you know, low carbon footprint, everything within their village, everything working as community, as one. And a very tight-knit supply chain. I saw this photo, like a uh, ancient Indian textile supply chain, where it's just a small circular map where I think someone from the family is farming and someone from the family is like weaving and someone from the family is spinning and like you know it all comes together and they go to the market in the same village and sell the garments. That's this tiny harmonious supply chain which existed back in the day, mm, like an ecosystem yeah. of its. Yeah, it was an ecosystem, and, but we've come way, way ahead since those times. The globalization, the world is now that village 
But that's not true. Like to be honest, the world is there can still be a lot of micro ecosystems in this world. And then it's like we create this ecosystem, and then we we can sell it to different parts of the world. But everything has to be produced here, like in this hundred kilometer radius of where we are. Let's try and see. Like hundred kilometers is still a big place, but still very tiny compared to thousands of kilometers. Every fabric, like. You'd see a cotton traveling from Australia, going to Istanbul, getting spun there, like, and then woven in China, possibly I don't know where, but like it then goes to Portugal for sewing, and then from Portugal it goes to the U.S., and then from the U.S. it also it gets distributed through across the world again. You see, like compared to that, our cotton grows here, it's spun here, it's woven here, it's sewn here in these hundred kilometers and you know it just goes straight to the brand so you like you see what i mean like there's such a big part of traveling that's brought down i don't really know like if you ask me how much carbon emission is it carbon positive or carbon neutral i don't really have answers to that and i'm just really like surprised when people have such specific details how you know how people can be so accurate about such invariable processes and stuff like that but i'm pretty sure our supply chain is very, very efficient in its way. So I'm pretty sure the carbon it produces much lesser. I don't even know if it's positive or not, but like neutral. I don't even know what those words mean, but mm. yeah, I just wanted to make an efficient, but also community centric, but also a ruralized supply chain, which we are starting to create. I wouldn't say it's established, but it's a start, like it started. Mm. That's fascinating. Now, I remember reading, I think it was the, in the Vogue article that came out, I want to say in 2020, 2019. I remember you saying, and you mentioned it just now, that you saw the real negative effects of that super industrialized textile manufacturing when you got back. And I was wanting to know, (laughs) I loved, you said, when I came back, you complained quite a lot. I thought that was funny. But then you decided to do something. I'd love to know, so what made you go from complaining to acting and deciding to do it differently? I think if I kept complaining, I would be this really annoying person who'd never want to hang out with. Like, you know what I mean? And there's no point because it doesn't bring change. It just creates like frustration and uh, frustration, which I, it was crea- I was creating that within me. And like, I didn't really want it to, I really wanted things to stop. And like, and then I realized like things are beyond my control. Like, but there are things that I can control and like kind of channel those things. I can't change everything, but I can create this tiny, tiny, tiny space where things work differently. And that tiny space, you never know, like after me, what happens? Like you can't really bring like a massive, can't change the world like in I can't change the world in in my one lifetime because I only have a limited number of years. But I think if I could create a space with a different system that kind of someone would definitely take from here and take it ahead. And that's the start of something. Like everything is a start. Like you have to sow the seeds. Mm. The seeds and that's how things grow and like some Seeds grow, so it takes hundreds of years for a seed to evolve into a tree. Mm. Some trees evolve in 
few decades. Mm-hmm. Some trees evolve in 10 years. Like, you know, you, you never know what seed that is, or you just have to sow the right seed. And I think that's exactly what I did. Start. I don't think like our system is perfect or like whatever it is, but at least like we start somewhere and we evolve mm. as things grow. So I was very interested in the relationship that you have with the soil. And I understand that you talk now, you use the word, which has been used rather recently, as you mentioned, regenerative agriculture, but you also speak a lot about using ancient traditions and meeting with farmers and traveling to do workshops and finding out more about creating that type of farming that is regenerative and supports the soil and future growth, not just what you're building now. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think as I said, like region is like the old new or the new old or like whatever it is. Like it was just a new term for things that were done, things that were practiced back in the day. Unfortunately, like just like there are systems, there are books where you can make chemicals. There are formulas. No one left a formula to do practice region agriculture. Like, you know, there's not a book where you can refer and like, and say like, oh, whoa, I have the answer. This is how it's done. There's no book that defines it. So I think we had to start with different things. We had access to like workshops, people. Today also, I went for a, we went for farm visits and you were speaking to farmers and I learned like there was this kind of kelangu, I don't even know how to call it, like this kind of vegetable which you can get in like forests that can act as a good pest repellent and stuff like that. Like, you know, and of course, like we decided, we requested him to bring that sort of thing. And, you know, we bring in, we trial, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And that's how we figured things out. We were just taking different things from different places and, you know, different information, just put it all together, make it a, like, trial, error, trial, works, works. Then you make, like, a workbook that works, and you work through that. But... I think it's about creating a system which people can really, it is a very complex system, but when people practice it, the complexity should end with us. Like when people practice it, whether it's brands, whether it's farmers, it has to be easy for them. Like all the simple things you see, like, you know, maybe an iPhone or like a good design building, it looks absolutely simple. There is a very complex mechanism that goes beyond it. But a lot of people would be put away if you try to overload them with the complexity. Not everyone wants to know about this. They just want to experience the the simplicity of that phone or I don't really want to know what's behind the mechanism behind this phone. I just want to use the phone and make sure it's simple. I just want to use this laptop. I just want to use a product and like make sure it's simple. Like I don't want to get get into the complexity of how it's built, but it is a complex process. And just like that, the system we create, like it's really complex from our side. Like, you know, there's so many existing systems. We have to go against the tides. Like we are creating like through these trial and errors. That's how we figure out like the complexity, but also the solution of solution to make this complex things simple and you know we take those simple things and give it to the farmers give it to the brands like hey 
you want this fabric, you want a regenerative cotton fabric, this is it. There are brands who want to know more about the complexity of the system. They want to learn. And we do like work with them to tell that story. And some brands like, you know, they take the story and communicate it with their readers, with their customers and, you know, people who want to learn. But we are trying to ease this complexity of systems so brands can have access to it very easily. Farmers can become a part of this very easily. They don't really have to think. They can just like take this, adapt, adopt, practice, and that's it. And I think people just want, most people just want easy things. Like just eat, just like an Uber. You just get in the car and go, how can you order like food at home? And things like that. Like people really want to simplify their lives. And I think like, you know, that's exactly what we are trying to do. Like simplify these systems. Mm. So a lot more brands can have access. A lot more farmers can become our partners and we create this community together. Yeah. I really liked what you said. Complexity should stop with us. So you're... With the creator. Of yeah. course. Yeah. I mean, you are doing the work of figuring it out. You're creating the collective. You're putting the artisans to work as well as communities and the farmers. And then you offer this simple solution to brands who want to be able to have access to what, <laughs> I can't say it, <laughs> regenerative cotton. That's really wonderful. I was going to ask you, and I think that's probably something that brands want too. You talked in another interview I read, or actually was on your website, about radical transparency. So what does that mean exactly for people who are going to be interacting with Oshadi? I think radical transparency, it's not just a supplier's point of view. It's also a brand's point of view. The brands need to know where their cotton comes from. Like it's not just, just to communicate to customers what it is. It's just about knowing like what you're doing. Like imagine it's the same thing. Like most people are used to not knowing where their food's coming from and stuff like that. But I think like, let's say if you're going to a restaurant, right? Let's say the chef cooks you food from a really bad farm and you know, the really that's his duty, the chef's duty to make sure the food we get from, like he cooks, comes from a good farm, it's healthy, and the customers who eat it, who eat it also are assured that the chef or the restaurant people like have made, have ensured like the food's good. Same way, I think the brands, when they make stuff, they are guaranteeing, they are standing behind their product that this product is good. Whether they say it or not, that's what it means. A chef's not coming out every time you go for lunch saying, hey, you know what? I use the best raw materials. But you just think, you just think it's obvious that he has to be doing it because I'm paying this much to be in this fancy place or like this nice place. And I know that the food here is going to be good. And that's the same thing on the brand, the transparency, what that is. Like, you know, the brand knowing where the cotton is coming from, who's spun, uh, who's spinning, who's weaving, who's dyeing it. And like, they make sure they work with partners, production partners, uh, whether it be farmers or like dyers or things, who know where they source the cotton from, you know, where mm. it comes from, that it's coming from right places, that it's going through right processes mm. until it gets to the customer. So right from the source until it goes to the customer, until 
it has to be monitored it has to be thought through from start to the end but now in these days it doesn't end with just going to the customers it has to find its way back to the soil or find its way to the recycling place and radical transparency i think i used this word when things were like i thought were like linear like when we first started like it goes one way but then as things evolved i think that was like the first years like you know of me mm. figuring out like what's going on now it's it's circular like you start to understand that everything you do has a ripple effect and you know it just comes back something it has a effect it goes around and around and around and which means the transparency is not just that but it's about you're creating a product but you also think what's its life cycle and life cycle is never ending it doesn't end the cycle it it becomes soil maybe it comes back out as a plant or it becomes a garment and then you recycle it and then you re-recycle it for example like when we first started this, doing this regenerative cotton we realized that in the spinning process there's like 20 30% base so we tried to see like if we could use that base to make another yarn which we did so we made like a recycled cotton t-shirt wow from that stuff but then we realized like in the recycled t-shirt making process there is a cutting waste and now like we one of the brands we work with have used that base to make applique on one of their shirts so oh. that's like recycling the base from recycle wow jersey and then you're like it has to keep going on and on and on like until you can see it or until you can control it i mean it goes beyond your control there is there is another system probably people hopefully people will have access to in a few years or you know because so many people are working on recycling sure. stuff and stuff like that but i think radical transparency it's just like as much as you can see like where's your packaging coming from or you know the ink you use to print papers in your office is that, is that like degradable or like you know it's more about like for within i think people always like confuse it with outside the radical transparency but it's about within like and once each person or each brand starts look looking within like how transparent their processes are I think there's no need of going out and changing it. Mm. Things would start changing like it's each every single brand doing that. Hey, what do I do this? I review. And if I see something can be improved or improvised, let's do that and then do more. Yeah, that makes sense. I um I really enjoyed your food metaphor <laughs> because actually you and I were just chatting before taping this and you were telling me that you were in Paris not so long ago and you just got me thinking that in some nice restaurants not even very fancy ones but obviously also in the very fancy ones chefs take so much pride in talking about where the meat comes from where the fish comes from where the vegetable and they have a relationship with all these farmers and all these producers so i guess that effectively what you do sounds very close to i would say how great cooks and great restaurants treat their produce and the supply chain for their clients mm. yeah i can also relate to that like i went to this absolutely amazing cafe in milan like a couple of weeks back it's called i don't know how to pronounce it it's called la chis chis 
Santerio or something like that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but when I got in, or the chef came in and he was like introducing these, like, hey, today would you like me to take you through the thing and through the menu and I can explain. So I just walked with him. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. But while that was happening, I was also thinking about the work, like we are doing, like that's what it is. The other chef like, hey, you know, what's on today's menu is these block prints, you know, with the cotton that grows on this farm and you read that it'll grow and like died with these stars and it's woven by these people and like all these people were paid this much. When it comes to you, it was sewn for like a couple of hours and you know, it's to you. So that's the mix in the menu today. You know, that's all that stuff. Yeah, I, I know what that. you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You can totally sell it to me uh, that way. Let's go a little bit granular here because I understand that you didn't only go out and start working on the cotton, but you also looked at all of the other things. As you mentioned, right? You went within and you continuously look at how you can better things. And so one of the areas that I thought was really fascinating is is how you also worked on natural dyes because we don't think of the chemical impact. Well, we don't think, we don't talk sufficiently about the chemical impact of dyeing clothes. And so how did you develop the natural dye process and how does that work within your collective? I think like it's also again the same thing, just like every day just sit down, like what is it, what are we doing? Are we dying? Like what was the impact it has? And what are the other options? Are there, is there something more? Like even today, a few weeks back, we were also seeing like if the natural dyes are actually good because there's so many natural dyes, they also travel different parts of the world get here uh, is it is that sustainable to bring like a national dye from central asia or like a different part of the world to bring in import that and do it because there's so much waste locally uh, but with local waste are there ways to get like all these colors uh, and things like that there are like you know so many new things like mushroom national dyeing from mushrooms different kinds of pigmented mushrooms People are doing like bacterial dyeing and stuff like that. So I think it's just about like question, just like trialing something, questions, see if we can access, like if we can practice it, and then understanding where things are coming from, understanding the fundamentals of things work, and just seeing if they work in our processes, and is that improving our processes? Is that like trying to solve? a concern there is with chemical dyes and we met a lot of partners along the way who were doing natural dyeing for us and yeah that's how we started doing the dyeing and like you know natural dyeing up but also like again if you ask us are natural dyeing perfect no because i do know like a lot of these dyes come from different places that travel from very far away so we are now trying to see if we can integrate this dyeing with farming and with our farms and do that for yeah so much i mean i'm hearing you say that every time you come across something instead of going oh we'll just do it like this you don't accept the status quo you question it and you go and try and find a new solution that sounds like you have a pretty creative approach if you ask me if i i'm skilled at things like i'm not like you know for me i just know i can bring together different things I can bring people together because I end up meeting people and then I just have this way that, you know what, if I work with this person, this problem can be solved and like, you know, just like connecting the dots 
I bump into people at the right. It's just like right time, right place, right people. I figure out something and then I'm like, oh shit, how do we solve this? And then it's, I don't know if it's a coincidence or like happenstance that I just at the right time meet the right person. Like for example, if you see the Netflix documentary, the next morning I listen to like Rebecca Burgess, then there's a solution there and next we do someone who can sort of like a brand see that on can solve that and like it's being fortunate i would say because so many times like i it could have been that next morning i wouldn't have listened to that podcast but then i would have definitely done something about it but maybe like not what i'm doing now driving in the direction and things like that but i mean like really lucky there is a, like a force energy which i think no human mind can comprehend that works behind all of these things happening like and stuff like that i don't really know what that is just because, I think just some time ago, we spoke about the complexity. Yeah. That's something going on underneath to simplify things for us. But the simplification process for me is meeting the right people at the right time. And something is working. A lot of these things are like complexities are working to make this, these mm. things simple for me. And like, yeah. Mm. So I saw your collections online and I think they look absolutely beautiful. And I was wondering, what do you imagine the future of the Oshadi collection itself to be? We kept our collections on hold for a year and a half now because once I figured this palm project out, I didn't really want to launch a collection until or unless everything we made was from our farms, like from the farms we had we were growing cotton and like and things like that so i didn't really want to like so it was because initially you also need funds like to be able to make these different kind of fabrics to grow the cotton for a year and then hold that stock and make clothes different kinds of clothes and you know really think it through what kind there's so many things like counts of yarn different weaves of fabrics or different weaves you need different counts will i be able to afford to make these different counts of yarn and, you know, like we kind of figured these things out a few months ago, probably like a six months ago that, okay, this is how we are doing things. So we are now finally working on a collection which will come out in the next couple of months. It's a women's collection, but also like an androgynous collection. I really love this idea of having the same clothes of both men and women. It's just so easy. Like, you know, it would just simplify so many complexities there are again with like, with size charts and gender stuff like that there's so many different things that work i really wanted to create something that's really accessible by anyone you know it's not specific women's specific men's but everything but yeah we are working on it a lot of different crafts i i love i really wanted this collection to be a whole representation of what we could possibly the potential of craft the potential of regenerative agriculture it should be a reflection of what is possible and you don't really have to go in the traditional route, but you can take the new route and still do all these amazing things. And, you know, and I think the new collection is going to be about that. And it just, of course, it took us two years nearly to come this far, but yeah, I think it's coming out very soon. I'm excited to, to see it. I heard you speak before and you touched on this very early on in our conversation about the the human component, the importance, not just around the community and the ecosystem that you 
discussing were created between different people in the same family or in the same village, working different parts of the life cycle of a garment, but also the respect or the lack of respect that's been coming through in the way that we've been farming out, forgive the pun, the low textile workers of India and China doing the sort of the low labor and and getting a lot of just disrespecting the quality of human life, the value of the work that was brought up. And I heard you speak very skillfully about this. So could you talk to me about what this means to you and what you guys are trying to do in terms of the livelihood of the people who are working with you? I think the first thing is like, what I just find so strange about this current system is like, who am I like as a person to have and like to decide a minimum wage or to decide about someone. I wouldn't want someone to sit down somewhere and like think, oh, you know what? I want Nishan to have this life in, he can have access to good health care. He can have access to maybe this restaurant, but he shouldn't be able to afford that restaurant. It's so hard to change this thing. Like I keep thinking that why do we get to decide a minimum wage for someone else? Like if someone decided a minimum wage for me, I would completely hate it. Like, you know, just someone like, hey, this is your minimum wage. You know what? Like, live within the means of this wage. I pay you. And unfortunately, we are brought into the system and like, you won't believe this, but we, uh, a lot of these workers work for 12 hours every day. And one of the things what we wanted to do was try to see like this eight hours. I don't even know if eight hours is a a rational number of hours to work but that's what the world is and like i'm trying to see like if we can make sure we pay the same amount of money what these guys work for 12 hours the reason they work for 12 hours is they want to get this money what if we pay this money for to the people who work in eight hours and is there a way we can like cut out all these night shifts Mm. so we completely evaded all these like night shifts three shifts system like you know we just have one shift with some overtime every now and then of course like fashion is a very demanding industry and it can't work with like overtime at this stage but we have like not multiple shifts just one single shift with a little bit of overtime sometimes and trying to make sure the people we work with make the same income in eight hours which they'd have to work 12 hours for in a different company and stuff like that which means all your prices go up yeah like everything goes up but there are brands like who understand this and who share the same values as we do. And as I said, like very early, I had this fortune of meeting these brands who share similar beliefs, fundamentals mm. as we do. And that, yes, we are okay. I'm pretty sure they're selling at the same price as a lot of their competitors do. But the making cost of their stuff is pretty a bit high, like, you know, compared to the competitors, but they are willing to let that go to create a better system. And that's how it works. Like you have to let go of things. Yeah. There's an opportunity cost for everything. If you want this, you let that go. If you want that, you let this go. It depends Mm -hmm. depends what your priorities are. As a company, we decide how much we pay then. There is a set standard. But there is also a question of why, who is someone to set standard for someone else, like someone's lifestyle. I'm basically setting a standard for someone's lifestyle. 
I don't know if that's right, but that's what I can do at this moment. Like, you know, I just think I'm still unfair or as a company, we are still unfair, but we have a thrive as a company. Like, you know, I can't just like say that, let's take this divided equally. Like, mm. unfortunately, like this would mean end of company in a month. Like, if we decide to. <laughs> and, but there is like, you know, as I said, we are creating a space where we start something things will build on and on and on and there will be a system I'm pretty sure one day that would be more fair mm -hmm. uh, to what we have now. Yeah. It's really inspiring. It really is. And I think that there's not just brands that are going to trust you with that and who see the world like you see it and who want to make that change and either they'll absorb the costs, right? The difference or they'll just put their prices up and tell their customers why their garments are more expensive. And I think that there are customers, like I'm pointing myself at myself, that would totally want to spend money if I know that this is what I'd be supporting on the other end. I'm sure that there's more than demand nowadays. We just need to be able to support you in whatever way we can. I also know that you are obviously a very eloquent spokesperson for the crafts of, of your country. And there's many I know that obviously there's the, the growth of the cotton, the farming, the weaving, the sewing, the block printing. But I heard you say that you don't want to make the artisans seem like they are a lesser person because when brands collaborates with artists in Paris or a Parisian atelier, <laughs> it always sounds like a very elevated collaboration. And you want to elevate the Indian craftsmanship in a way. Could you talk to me more about that? Yeah, I always feel that like when I to Europe, like wherever I go, like I just think this a lot of times when people look at skin type, they have this subconscious judgments, like he is this, he is that, she is this, she's that. Especially like this the media, the communications, the marketing, like of these different things make it seem like you have to be this skinny person, white skin, and if you have all these like things it's just like the thing and the same thing like when the brands come in a lot of times when they look at the skin and look at the lifestyle and you know look at you know we eat with ham and things like that they just have this preconceived like judgment of what that person is and he needs help or she needs help but i think unfortunately the system's like it's just like so deeply ingrained within the human subconscious and it has been evolving for years and hundreds of years and maybe thousands, I don't even know. I think there is like this kind of system where you make a judgment of a person's appearance and, and based on that, you judge a person's lifestyle and based on that, you think, hey, you know what, I'm going to help. Help is two ways, like, you know, we get help every day. Like, you know, I get help every day, you know. Um, I have like mentors, I have my family, I have like people like, you know, I have people like you, Catherine, like anyone, like, you know, just trying to help us by putting our work out there. And like, but that is a help coming out of respect of someone's work. There is a difference between like respecting someone's work, but then there is a help where you just think about this poor person in India or Africa. And like, you know, you know what, I feel really sorry for him. So send some money. That is a different kind of help. Like when people look at crafts, specifically in Africa and India, like all these places, they, they have this notion that, oh shit, I need to help these guys. 
we want to come and help you out like you know it's nothing to blame the brand because you know they have a very different lifestyle possibly in london like in in europe in in the us in new york in la like they, they grow up with different things they are brought up with this at least like good values helping even that is like through sympathy at least there are these learnings and education in that person to help someone which is a great thing but the help as i said is of two different kinds one is out of respect one is out of sympathy and i think a lot of these crafts people in india in africa in different parts of like south america like all these people are really like artists the kind of skills they have are impeccable like and i think that sort of has to be viewed through lenses of respect admiration you know and inspiration like you know you look at something and like, whoa what is this like this fan is absolutely killing it and she is like absolutely an amazing block printer or like you know a natural dye like that sort of respect when you work and that's when the real collaboration happens that's when look at the farmer like the way today we you know just bending down for 8 hours and harvesting cotton like who can do that i can't be like to 20 minutes of bending down and my back was stiff i was like oh my goodness like here you know, what is this and someone they will do this harvest 20 kilos of cotton every day that is a skill that has to be respected and someone's weaving fabric you know that's a skill someone's block printing that's a skill they are artists maybe not in the conventional outlook of life conventional educational systems like maybe they are not called artists but they are like in their own way and i think they are looked at like if someone's from italy or france or like you know from the us if there's a weaver from all these places no one looks at them with a lens of sympathy they look at them through lens of respect and admiration and i think it's really important because that's how the real change can happen to real collaboration to real respect for work when you come in you're like whoa that's amazing like you know let's work together you know i want to do things with you i want to collaborate you know just not fancy names of collaboration there mm. but it's real skill you're collaborating with that's beautiful i remember i was very very lucky to be introduced to wonderful block printing companies in Jaipur so i visited the facilities and i met the guys and i was completely in awe of their work but i also had the chance to see the work of, of a fashion designer based in in delhi who's got his own embroidery studio and whose work is shown at paris during couture and who chose to work with embroidery first and foremost because he wanted to be able to sustain the artisans and make sure that the skill set wouldn't disappear because it takes way less time to create prints than it does to embroider. He had found his own mission there. And I side with you when you say that some of these guys are really are artists in, in their own way, for sure. There's a great connection, I think, that we can feel when we come up close and get to meet people who do the work they do rather than not know about what they do. The more we are far away, I feel that the less we get connected to the importance and the way and the... the skills that this person is putting to the work that's just my perspective yeah i think that's true like the the way well, like you know let's say 
the tomatoes you eat today, like, you know, they come from a farm that you can't go and see. You can't literally go and see everything you consume, you make, you do, like, you know. Well, sort of. Because <laughs> yeah, now in Geneva, there's a couple of different, but this is specific to Geneva. There's a couple of new suppliers online that basically just work with local farms. So that means that everything that you get delivered is, you can literally, you can tell which farm it is. There's the address. If you ever want to go and talk to the farmer, it's, it's there. But of course, it's a very niche place. Yeah, I think like, I, I know exactly what you mean, but let's say like your food, that's sorted. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know. What about your headphones? What about your headphones? <laughs> who may, you know, it's, who may. It's your a headphones? very good point. Like, yeah, you know where the cement of or the beautiful paintings you have just behind you. Like, it's very hard for everyone to like know the back end transparent stories of where things come from, like of different things. Someone's interested in clothing, they want to know about clothing. Someone's interested. I'm pretty sure there are some people who know about headphones, where their headphones come yeah. from. Yeah, actually, these are kind of specialized, so I'm pretty sure I could find out about this. But yes, I know what you mean. It's yeah. the yeah. more mass market as well, the more difficult it is to find out and to have a connection to the people who make the things that we use, right? And I think that this is one of the side effects of COVID with the supply chain suffering so much. Suddenly, everyone cares a lot more about how things are made and where they're coming from, right? Yeah, I think like, even if you can't have access to these things, like everything, we can, we have this choice of making a purchase or we have this choice of getting something from brands, from suppliers, from people who can then make sure this headphones coming from right place. Like you go to a vendor, like a headphone seller, like a reseller, you know that this person gets high quality stuff and premium materials, like good quality, not made in like sweatshops, like that sort of stuff. And I think it's really important to have that sort of traceability. And that's, yeah, like just making sure when you make that choice, even though you didn't have a chance to background check, you know that this person or this brand or this company would have done that from there. And I trust them. I'd like more of that on every level, actually. I was writing a blog post about this today, about becoming consumer activists by, if we all raise hand and say, I want to know where this is made and how it's made and who made it, then the more consumers raise their own hands and tell brands, I want to know more and I want to get things right, the more brands will have to turn around and do better, right? Yeah, definitely. I think like that's where it goes. Like everyone, like the department stores, the brands, the people who made them, everyone, it's a part. Everyone has to be a part of it. It can't be one thing. It has to be a yeah, like, you know, it's a very each drop makes an ocean and like every single drop, every single drop counts. Yeah, we are just like so intimately interconnected, like maybe something you do in Geneva today can have an impact in India tomorrow. Like, you know, you never know that choice, that purchase can drive. And that's why like thoughtfulness, mindfulness, you know, it's very important in everything you do, buying, doing, living, like, you know, it's a, there's a like I keep, but I had this conversation with a friend some time ago and I was like, if I'm practicing this work, of making this clothing in this way, I have to live through it. Like I need to eat the food that's grown in the same way. I need to buy clothes that possibly made in the same way. 
I, when I go and speak to the people, like it's about, it has to be one single thing. I cannot like do one thing here and then like, you know, just go out and buy absolutely like, you know, like crocodile leather stuff tomorrow or something like that, like exotic leather stuff. Because like, I do think like we have this normal line, but we also have this conscious line where like, it's just about like, you know what? I, I am vegetarian, but I eat chicken once a week. Like it's that sort of, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And I think it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. People buy into that stuff. Consumers buy into the stuff. Brands buy into that stuff. Like how can they think that a supplier or a brand or like a person can be one thing, but also a completely contradictory thing at the same time? Like it's not mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. yeah. The duality and we and yet it exists so we have to bear with it but i hear you and i <laughs> i like your image of the the vegetarian that eats chicken once a week that's yeah. uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a tough one <laughs> so before we wrap up there's one thing that i was wondering so personally from the outside looking at what you've done i'm super inspired by the fact that you didn't just go one direction and and sort of and decided to work not just the product, the raw product, but also the farming side and and all of the changes that you're doing. I'd love to hear from you. What would you say to someone who wants to go in the same direction? What advice would you have for them? Just start somewhere and keep doing it and have a very positive outlook on things and you can do what you can do. Uh, you can't do things which are beyond your control. Make sure to give your fullest to what you do. You have a limited amount of time. Utilize that in the best possible way. And it's just not giving up. Like, don't give up. There are hard times, but the good times are just a night away sometimes. And <laughs> sometimes good times come when you're, when you're 20, different for different people. Yeah. I think uh, just about there's this for our comic book. It's called "It's of Sisyphus." Have you? I'm not sure. I don't know if it's like Murakami. I don't know if it's right or the worst, but I think it's called "Myth of Sisyphus." I don't really know exactly if I'm pronouncing it right. But anyway, it talks about like what is the what is the goal of someone's life or any work they do, and like you know to accomplish something. And it just talks about this mountain, this slope, and the job of this person is to carry the rock to the top of the mountain and leave it there. That slides back. And you still have to take the rock and go back. And that's what life is like. You know, mm. you always pick that up, go back until you can. Mm-hmm. There will be a day you can't pick that rock up. You'd have to stay down. But until that, like the role of that person is to keep trying and trying and trying and trying. Like it's, mm. yeah, that's how things work. Like, you just keep doing the same thing. Like for us, the first time, like, you know, that stone, the rock was just even starting this project. Then he was trying to figure out like who the designer is for the brand. And then the rock was like making the collection. Then the rock was starting a sewing place. Then the rock was starting to be things. Then the rock was working with the brand. Then the rock was figuring out dying. Then the rock was agriculture. Like then the rock was like, you know, making it work. Then the rock was throwing it. That's how you do it. 
I was going to say you keep rolling with it. Sorry, I had to because of the rock analogy. <laughs> I think you meant the myth yeah, yeah. of Sisyphus. I think Sisyphus, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, that's, that's how you say it. <laughs> so I'd love to hear from you. What is your favorite word, but one that you could tattoo on yourself? And again, I want to say, I'm not saying you need to be tattooed, but a word that you could carry on your skin. That would be such a hard choice. Like carrying a word on the skin, I get so afraid sometimes. I actually had this thought of tattooing something, but like, what if I wake up one day and I was like, oh shit, like I should have had another word and I can't go back. <laughs> but I think it'll be something with joy, peace, or love. It's, it's pretty, yeah, I think simple things, you know, simple things like that word, definitely harmony, content, these simple things, what we all attain like what we all want to attain and you know, what we all look forward to mm. what is the sweetest thing that's ever happened to you there's so many sweet things that happen but like now I think it's everything happening now is sweet like you know my family like my friends the people I work with the work like every day you get a gift there is a hindrance there is a a gift both at the same time. Every day you get this, but I'm pretty sure there's so many things that have happened through. And now, like, I really, I think the work I do, I get to do, and the people I work with, I'm really happy. And, like, you know, I just, like, I really uh, have a lot of gratitude for uh, gratitude for brands, the people I work with, for giving us platform and for you know, just being so supportive and making things work for us and for me. And I think this is, for now, like now at this moment, this is the sweetest thing I could get. But I'm pretty sure as think about, I will have a lot more. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. What's a secret superpower that you have? I can eat a lot of food. Like I'm always hungry. Like <laughs> I can literally eat after a big meal, another meal. and. I can just eat, and I also think about eating. Right when I'm eating lunch, I'm out and just thinking about like what the dinner is going to look like, and I think that's my superpower to eat. That's a good one. <laughs> what is a favorite book that you can share with us? It's a very generic book. I read I think a couple of books. There was a book called Bolgar Tunga. I was talking about how humans evolved, like from everything, like um, also sapiens, like just there's a book called Sapiens, and like just everything is like man made. These books, both the books talk about every system, every caste, every religion, everything money, currency, society, marriage, everything is like made by us, and like uh, it kind of like gave me a bigger perspective on things, like these couple of books. I think just show me it's like nothing so important. Mm. But yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I read Sapiens and I thought that was groundbreaking. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm. Where is somewhere that you visited that you felt had a really big impact on your life? I think a university in England. I saw a lot of things. I experienced, I lived a lot of things. Which and then I came back. It kind of was a setting part for my life ahead. Mm. 
I think those three years where I saw uh, where I lived, I think it was a start. You know, I couldn't say like it mm-hmm. was, it is everything, but that did really have a profound impact on me and coming and reflecting on my family, my life, my system, my culture, my people, like stuff like that. And I think most important thing is my own life. Like I just understood who I was through that, like, through the experience I, I had there. I think I would say that, yeah, the thing, the people I met, the things I did, mm. everything. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I'm going to close with my favorite question, which is what brings you happiness? That's a tough question. I think every day there's different things. Like, you know, I see friends, you know, I see my family, like, you know, my just good times with people I work with. And I come to work every morning, like, you know, I just feel really content. And I think uh, happiness comes and goes, but like the contentment, which I always long for, because that's, it can't go, like it's, it's just there. And I think when I come to work every day, I'm just like really content that what's there. I meet people, I go home, I meet family, I go out, I meet friends. And of course, like last but not the least, the most important thing, the food. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious and uh, so true. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. People always just undervalue the food so much but I think everyone I meet is just so excited about like food they eat like you know everyone's talking about the next meal and without knowing consciously they always are revolving <laughs> around food yeah. that's so true and you're lucky because yeah. there's good food where you are that's for sure yeah definitely a privilege no doubt. that's wonderful Nishant, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a real pleasure to get to know you and to hear more about Oshadi, about the project, the scope. And I'm really excited about whatever's going to come up next. And I hope that we'll stay in touch and be able to maybe have another conversation in a couple of years and see how things progress with you. Because I see great things in your company's future and in the collective's future. I'm crossing all my fingers. So if people would like to find you, connect with you, where can they go to? Just like Instagram or like, you know, we do, I do everything straight together. Now I think half the people in my life I know now in the last five years are through Instagram, like just saying yeah. hello there and stuff. But also like emails through websites. We do get like a lot of emails now and Unfortunately, I'm not able to keep up to anything that's new because we have so much existing stuff. We, the existing partners, we need to cater to and stuff like that. But definitely, like if it's, I think Instagram or, or possibly website. Sure. Like that. That sounds really good. And I will put the links in the show notes as well. So people can just click through and discover. Actually, I really, really, really like, I really like your Instagram. I thought there was some really thoughtful things. And actually I haven't read it yet, but there was a beautiful article that you posted about soil that was published in the Guardian. That's on my reading list. It sounded really cool. And I had just written a blog post about roots. So I was like, oh God, there's more. I need to read about soil. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many things. I think like one of the key things we want to do is like start a journal pretty soon. So there's so many things like, you know, not just our own stuff, but so many things I come across which we can share and about very personal to the company, Instagram, like everything we do at the company, like hopefully we have a blog. And I think we are working on that in a couple of months. We will be able to share 
so many things which we cannot otherwise on Instagram, like mm. or you know, we don't have space there to do that. But yeah, thank you. That's exciting. Well, again, thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and hopefully, we will talk again sometime soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me again, and also thank you to Catherine Bowman and for introducing me. It's a pleasure to be here, and like you said, hopefully, we come back to it in a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again to Nishant for being my guest on the show today. As always, you can find all of the relevant links of what we talked about in the show notes. So friends and listeners, thanks again for joining today. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice. And if you want to connect, you can get in touch with me at Anvi on Twitter or Anne Munitaler on LinkedIn and at underscore out of the clouds on Instagram, where I also share daily musings about mindfulness. You can find all episodes of the podcast and more as well on anvimulatalo.com. If you don't know how to spell that, that's also in the show notes. And I invite you to sign up to my monthly newsletter if you'd like to get regular news direct in your inbox. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Out of the Clouds. And I hope that you'll join me again next time. Until then, be well, be safe and take care.